Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. Hello Tribers, what an episode this is. I had the opportunity to exclusively interview best-selling author, poet and performer Asia Mayrock. This is her very first interview about her second book, Dear Girl. Asia self-published her first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying, when she was only 19 years old, which was then acquired by Scholastic and published all over the world. She has spoken to over 4 million people nationwide on bullying and mental health and joined Disney Channel's Choose Kindness campaign. Asia has performed at the Girlboss Rally, Madison Square Gardens and White with the Coca-Cola, American Girl and Philosophy. She was chosen as one of the Today Show's heroes in 2018 and has just written her second book, Dear Girl, which is available to purchase from the 25th of August. In this episode, tuning in from New York City, Asia and I talk about her new book, her writing process, what advice she would give her younger self, life in New York City, her favourite poets and poems, and my gosh, aren't you in for such a treat. I have described her latest work as a hug. Asia is innovative, creative and a light in this field, and I have absolutely no doubt she is just getting started. Asia may rock everyone. Hi Asia, I'm really excited to have you on the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. Can you just share your story with our Smart Girl Tribe audience, please? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. Um, My name is Asia and I am 24 years old and my story really begins when I was about eight years old and I started getting bullied. I was a really creative kid. I loved writing and telling stories and um, when I was eight, I went to a new school and I had a lisp and a stutter at the time as well as some you know other things I was struggling with um, at the time and I started getting bullied and it just kind of escalated as the years went on and it became not only social bullying and verbal bullying but physical bullying and cyber bullying and I didn't really know what was happening I didn't really have the language to realize that it was bullying I think that at the time bullying wasn't talked about as much Um, and so I really kept it inside and I didn't really tell a lot of people about what was going on but as a result I really struggled with my mental health Um, and I just kind of let the years pass by without really speaking up for myself or showing up for myself in a real way. You know, obviously because I was bullied for the way I spoke, it was when I did stand up for myself, I um, kind of got bullied more. So as the years went on, I found writing as a way to express myself and find some sense of purpose in all of it. Um, And then when I was 13, I moved to California. And when I was there, for the first time, I had to kind of confront what I had been dealing with for so many years, but I hadn't really allowed myself to fully feel. And that's when I started beginning to write my book. Uh, But I, I didn't write it as a book necessarily. I, I was kind of writing it as a journal and as a diary to, um, try to further understand 
my mental health struggles and uh, the bullying that had been going on for so long, but I had never really confronted. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to suddenly share your story about being bullied? Can you remember when you made that decision? Yes. So when I was early on in high school, uh, there were a lot of suicides in the news because of bullying from all over the world. And I started realizing that obviously bullying was something that affected so many millions of people and that it wasn't being talked about in a way that I think uh, was allowing for any sort of vulnerable conversation or for change. Um, and so I wanted to do something about it. I was so angry and in pain that so many young people were suffering and were doing something um, like taking their life because no one was showing up for them and because there wasn't this conversation, you know, whether it was in the US or abroad. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what to do about it or what I could do about it. And since I had always loved writing, I just began writing and trying to figure out if there was a book I could create that would help someone in those moments. Obviously, it's not a solution by any means, but something that maybe I wish I had had that would hopefully help other people. Would you say in the end, your first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying, helped heal you? Absolutely. I think that as I mentioned earlier, I hadn't really allowed myself to feel the extent of what I had gone through for so many years. And so in the process of writing the survival guide to bullying, I had to confront a lot of those really painful parts. Um, and I had to, to take a look at my experience for the first time um, in a very, very honest and painful way. And so it was definitely a difficult journey writing it, uh, but it was incredibly healing. And I think that that writing and creativity and art can be a really important part of a healing process. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, can you just talk about the impact the book has had in the States because you have obviously achieved so many things since. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's been incredible. So actually to go backwards a little bit, I wrote the book beginning when I was really 16 years old and then I self-published it after a few years. Um, and then after I self-published it, uh, Scholastic acquired it and published it in the U.S. And then publishers all around the world picked it up and, and published it. And um, it, it was such an incredible experience. And, and through that, I was able to travel around the U.S. and speak and work with different schools and communities and, and reach so many, so many people. So it's been a really, really special journey. Mm -hmm. And obviously this podcast episode, you know, I love how honest you are, Asia, and how raw you are. And one thing I do want to get into is obviously bullying happens to both children and adults. Do you think the media plays a role? I mean, just thinking of an example, Donald Trump, for instance, on television has mocked several individuals and he has got away with it. Do you think that plays a role in the alarming bullying statistics in America? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I I wrote this book long before Trump was ever elected. Um, I, you know, began seeing the rise of bullying in my school when I was eight years old, which was quite a long time ago. Um, but I, I fully believe that when you have someone that bullies people, that discriminates against people, that is racist, um, at the highest levels of office in a country, then it sets an example 
for young people and older people that that type of behavior is acceptable and tolerable and that you can um, get away with it, as you said, and that's incredibly dangerous. And um, it's, it's very, very dangerous for not just bullying, but obviously so many other issues that, that we're seeing. Mm-hmm, completely. And what helped you during that time when you were being bullied Asia other than writing? To be honest, I think I didn't handle my situation in a way I wish I had. So I went to writing as my escape and my outlet. Um, But I wished I had asked for help in a more productive way. I think in the beginning of my journey, I did. But as I didn't see much of a change in my school or in my situation, I kind of gave up on trying to tell adults about it because I felt like they don't understand nothing's going to change. And I really, really regret that. I think that in in my story, and that's why with my book and and my work, I have always told young people that it is of top priority that you create a top five list of the adults in your life you trust. Mm -hmm. You go to them and you ask them for help. And even if they don't understand, even if they don't do anything about it immediately, you keep advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if someone was listening to this and they're being cyberbullied, which is such an issue nowadays, what would you say to them? I would say that social media and and the internet is such a powerful tool, but it also um, can be extremely dangerous, especially for your mental health. If you're dealing with cyberbullying, don't uh, underestimate the power of what being bullied online can do to your mental health and well-being. And you have to protect yourself against that. So whether that means making your account private and blocking and reporting people that are bullying you or harassing you, or even taking a break from social media for a while, it's not going anywhere. It's always going to be there. And I think it's very important to take that space, especially if you're being inundated with bullying and and hate and all of that online. Mm -hmm. Have you seen or have you had many young people or children come up to you, Asia, and thank you for your work and for writing a book about bullying? Because, I mean, for instance, when I was young, I too was bullied. I was so focused on academia and doing well in school. And that was something I was bullied for. And I know that speaking out has helped so many other young people. Have you had the same reaction? Yes, it's it's been so incredible. I've had so many young people come up to me or message me and um, tell me how my book changed their life and their experience so much. And um, it's so crazy. It's, it's hard for me to process, but I feel very grateful that I was able to take my experience and hopefully use it as an example and, and as a way um, to, to walk this journey not alone um, and to have the tools to figure out what you can do for yourself if you are being bullied. And then equally, what would you say if a bully was listening to this right now? If if a bully was listening to this right now, that's a great question. Um, I would say that, you know, bullying is a cycle. And oftentimes the person that is being bullied can also be the bully and can also be the bystander. Um, And oftentimes people are part of this cycle at different times in their life. And so I I have a lot of compassion for people that, that have bullied or, um, have been in that space at some time in their life because I, I really do believe in that cycle. So I would just encourage everyone, um, you know, taking away the label of um, bully or bullied, just everyone in general to 
take a moment to look at their actions and their words um, and how that could affect someone, especially if you have no idea what that person is going through in their life. Um, and to just be very aware that you will never know someone else's journey and experience and that your words are very powerful and your actions are very powerful and to stand up for someone if you see them being bullied, um, to be kind and um, to, to treat others um, the way that you might have needed in your most vulnerable moment. It's so true. I mean, one thing I've always kind of shared is sometimes it can be as bad as being the bully if you are a bystander and you're watching someone being bullied because you're almost saying that that behavior is okay instead of stepping in and maybe saying, actually, that behavior isn't okay and we need to do a lot more to be kind. Absolutely. And it's, it's so scary. And listen, I've been the bystander before too, because I was afraid that if I stood up, I would get bullied myself. Um, but, you know, breaking that cycle is so powerful. And I remember reading a statistic um, years ago that was something like 50% of the time, if you stand up for someone that is being bullied, that person will never be bullied again. So just saying one thing in one moment could drastically change someone's life forever. Mm -hmm, completely. And one thing I am so thrilled to talk to you about, to have the opportunity to discuss with you, Asia, is your new book, which is called Dear Girl. So first of all, before we get into it, can I ask, when did you start writing this book? What was the transition like? Because obviously this new book is all about female empowerment and your last one was all about bullying. So how many years were you kind of working in the bullying space and then suddenly decided to be in the female empowerment space? Sure. Um, so, well, I, yes, I'm also very excited about Dear Girl. I, I think Dear Girl really began, um, maybe it was like three years ago, I wrote a poem called The Truth About Being a Girl. Um, and that piece was about how I felt it was like to be a, a girl, a, a young woman in this world today. Um, and it was kind of right before the Me Too movement really uh, took off um, in, in a massive way. And so I wrote this poem, not thinking anything would really come of it. Um, but I wound up filming it several months later with BuzzFeed and then it came out and it went viral. And from there, I wrote a poem called Dear Girl, um, which was kind of a follow-up to that. And, um, and then over time, I was building uh, my presence online. I was writing tons and tons of poetry around whether it be um, my take on what it was to be a young woman in the world or uh, mental health or just so many different things. And throughout that time, I felt like there was a book kind of growing from all of those different pieces. Um, and so about a year ago, I started outlining that book, Dear Girl. And um, it incorporated some pieces that were from two years before that. It incorporated some pieces that were brand new. And so I would say um, it is a, a mixture of, of poems that I had written and kind of stored away um, or worked on in like the last few months that I felt told this bigger story or it painted this broader picture. So obviously it started in working with BuzzFeed and that short video going viral. Did you approach them or did they approach you? Um, so I performed the piece first at this small event 
Um, and someone that worked at BuzzFeed was at the event. And so we spoke after I performed and he um, asked me if I would be interested in filming it with them. So that's how that kind of came about. Mm -hmm. And can I ask Asia, what does feminism mean to you? And would you identify as a feminist? I definitely identify as a feminist. Um, and I actually, the Webster Dictionary description of what a feminist is, is something that I think is a very um, clear example. And it's something that I really resonate with. Um, and so the Webster Dictionary describes it as the social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. And I think that that is a very easy way to explain it and something that, that I do identify with 100%. Mm -hmm. You have gone from talking about bullying, as I said, now to female empowerment. Who inspires your writing, Asia? Ooh, I, um, my writing, I think, has always been inspired by things happening in the world, things happening in my own life, in my own experiences, um, things I, I dream up or think about. Um, it's always been this great mixture, and I, I can't tell you exactly where it comes from. I think writing can actually be a very spiritual experience where you don't always know where where it's coming from. But I think that being as in touch with uh, my friends and family, with my peers, with the world and with myself allows me to, to constantly be inspired um, and to hopefully continue writing. Mm -hmm. So talking about being inspired then from the world and everything that's going on, what do you turn to to stay informed, Asia? Do you watch the news every single day? Do you follow any particular Instagram accounts? How do you keep up with what's going on? Um, well, so I would say on staying informed, I, I like to read the news every day. I listen to different podcasts. I like to have conversations with different friends and different people in my community. And I think that um, just having conversations with so many different people in my life or even people that follow me on on social media uh, really keeps me informed um, and is is very inspiring as well um, and then on the more inspiration side I think I whenever I feel stuck or kind of in a rut I like to watch different films and TV shows and listen to podcasts and music and read and just try to expose myself to different types of content. And actually something I read, I, I can't remember which author was the one that, that talked about this, but I read this article probably like a year ago about um, an author that has this very strict uh, routine for themselves. And when they are in the process of writing something, they will read um, like books that are in a subject that is the complete opposite of what they are writing. So maybe they are writing I don't know, a, um, a coming of age romance, and then they'll read uh, maybe science, science books on the side. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And so I started actually doing that. And it's really cool. I, I don't know what it does to my brain, but I have found that it has made me way more, uh, what is the word? It, it's made me way more creative and kind of less narrowly focused on on only what I'm writing at that moment if that makes sense yeah and what was it like growing up as a young woman in America during the me too movement and times up can you remember 
where you were when that was first breaking out. So this was like 2016 onwards. Yes. Um, it, it was incredible. It was so empowering and, and hopeful. And um, obviously it was such a revolution. I, uh, I remember I was in school um, when everything started kind of coming to light in the media and, or in the mainstream media, media rather. Um, and I remember I had just written the truth about being a girl, like literally maybe two to three months before everything with Harvey Weinstein came out. And I remember realizing that a door had just been opened and so much was about to come to the surface. Um, and, and it was just incredible to see all of the different women who were activists and pioneers in the space for so many years um, and, and see the work that they had done and, and continue to do, be recognized at such a international level. Mm -hmm. And can we talk about the setup of your writing? So when you think of something you want to write about, is it very spontaneous that you just suddenly write everything that comes into your head or do you prepare what you're going to write in advance? What does that process look like for you, your writing process? It really varies depending on the day and the inspiration. So the truth about being a girl, I wrote that in 10 minutes without stopping. And I remember I heard the, one of the lines, oh, I heard the line, the truth about being a girl in my head. And I sat down and I began to write and everything came out. And I can't tell you where it came from. I can't tell you um, what I was thinking because I don't even think I was thinking about that before. Um, but it all came out. And then Dear Girl, the poem, I wrote over the course of, I would say, maybe a week. Um, and so that was a very different experience. So whenever something strikes me, whether it's a sentence or a line, I sit down and try to write it out and, and see where it takes me. But other times it's really about the routine of sitting down every day and just writing a little bit. I, If you follow me on Instagram, I'm all about posting morning pages, um, which is three pages written by hand every day. And that's something that um, I have used to try to train myself to be a better, more disciplined writer, because I think a lot of writers struggle with that discipline and procrastination. Um, so for me, it really is the balance of inspiration and routine. And did every poem you wrote about female empowerment, obviously for the book, Dear Girl, did it make it, did they all make it into the book or are there some that you decided to take out? No, definitely not. There are a lot that are not in the book. Um, I would say I wrote hundreds and hundreds of poems and some might I might put out in the world one day and others I will probably never want to look at again um, because I think, you know, a really big part of my process as a writer is, um, is the editing and the removal process. I think I always believe in, in writing everything down um, and not censoring yourself, but then obviously making those edits and changes as you see fit. Um, so for me, there were a lot of pieces taken out of the book and some added to the book um, to kind of tell the, the story that I wanted to tell. How did you measure what one was going to go in over another one? Um, that's a really good question. I, I was really lucky because I, I worked with my editor at Andrews McNeil, my publisher. And so if I didn't feel something in my gut, like I wasn't sure if it should be in or out, I would ask her. Um, I asked one of my closest friends. Um, I, but at the end of the day, I really believe in 
tuning into your gut instinct as much as you can, because at the end of the day, it's my book. And um, I, I know what I'm trying to say more than anyone else. Um, and so after asking a few people that I trusted, I just kind of went back into my own gut feeling and, and said, is this part of this story? Because it's also just one part of hopefully many things that I'll be able to write in my life. So um, is it part of this specific story? And, and if I felt it was, then, then it went in. Of course. And because Dear Girl is so strong and it's all about female empowerment and the narrative, you know, being a woman and what it's truly like, did you give the book before it was officially or is about to be officially published? Did you give it to your mum to read beforehand? Any of your best girlfriends? Did you share the stories, the poems, I should say, with them? before submitting it all together? Oh, that's a great question as well. I, so I have this thing about writing where I think you have to feel, or okay, I'll say at least, I think I have to feel very, very secure in the book before I give it to someone outside of my editor. Because, you know, not everyone is going to like what you write. And if you don't feel so secure with it, then, it can change the way you view your writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that can be really difficult on your relationship with, with your work. And so um, I, after it had gone through many, many rounds with my editor, I shared it with two really, really close girlfriends of mine. Um, and then actually not until we were in the final stages did I share it with my mom. Um, actually, she had some great ideas of things that I wound up editing after I shared it with her but she she loved it and was very proud and it was a very emotional moment yeah of course and can I ask what your favorite poem is in the book final stages did I share it with my mom um actually she had some great ideas of things that I wound up editing after I shared it with her but she she loved it and was very proud and it was a very emotional moment yeah of course and can I ask what your favorite poem is in the book I don't know that I have a favorite but I will say I I think I I like different ones mm-hmm. um, probably like every week. I'm like, oh, I like that one. Or I really like this one this week. The words that pour from my lips now come from lips that were sealed far too many years. Drown the world in what they do not wish to hear. That which they do not wish to hear is truth. So that was one of my favorites. And then another favorite is, is um, one of the first, is, oh, the first poem in the first chapter, which is, in the quiet of the night, I hear my story, not my thoughts, my truth, the tethers to my ancestors, the silk web to my future children. I hear my birth and my death. I hear my story and I realize it's not just my story. It's the story of the ages how we walk gently between now and eternity. So those are two of my favorites. No, they're so, they're both so powerful, Asia. I mean, I've said this and I said this to you before we even started recording. I absolutely, sincerely love your work. And this is why I really wanted to have an open conversation with you because it's quite rare to become, to almost come across such, you know, an innovative and creative, but very young poets. So I was immediately struck by your writing and that's why I wanted to have this conversation today. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. I'm, I'm so happy to get to talk to you and to, this is my, I think this is my first interview that I'm doing for the book. Um, so it's quite nerve wracking for me, but it's been so nice to get to talk to you about it. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited to, to share it with everyone. 
And your book, it's divided into chapters, obviously, Asia. So can you share how you came up with the title of each one? Yes. Um, so I, uh, I will say when I wrote the book originally, I didn't have any chapters in it. Um, and then I, I would read the book over and over. I've read it like hundreds of times and um, I would read it over and over. And I did not feel that without these chapters, I didn't feel that it was, it was telling the story I was trying to get across. And so I thought that having those chapters were kind of um, like stepping stones towards, because the book is about one young person's journey from finding her voice and her path to stepping into her power. And those chapters for me were those stepping stones towards that self-acceptance and, and stepping into that power. Um, and so I would look through all of the poems and try to figure out what each poem meant for me and what I thought it meant for people that I knew or in conversation what it, it meant for people in my friend group or in my peer group. And then I tried to find that common thread within each poem and design the book in a way that would hopefully guide others on that same journey I was trying to take the readers on. Mm -hmm. And talking about self-acceptance, obviously the book is, it's about life as a girl, but also transitioning from being a girl to a woman and what that looks like. So I have to ask Asia, what advice would you give your younger self about becoming a woman? Mm. The book is, it's about life as a girl, but also transitioning from being a girl to a woman and what that looks like. So I have to ask Asia, what advice would you give your younger self about becoming a woman? Mm. Yeah, if I could give advice to my younger self, I think I would tell her that it is okay to ask for help and that there are people in your life that are there for you and that will listen to you. And even if they don't get it immediately, they will try. Um, because I think when I was younger, especially when I was dealing with bullying and, and things that happened as a result, I really struggled with asking for help. And I wish I hadn't struggled that much. I wish I had really talked to my parents more openly or talked to other adults in my life. So I would wish that upon my younger self if I could go back. And we've obviously just touched on self-acceptance, but talking about self-love and value, what does your self-care routine look like, Asia? Is there anything in particular that you do? Um, my self-care routine. I would say I'm, I'm someone that is very big about um, routines. <laughs> I think that I feel my happiest mentally and physically and everything when I keep to a routine that works for me. And so for me, that means... Um, exercising every day if I can, whether it's a walk or a run, um, doing my morning pages, calling my family, um, writing first thing in the morning, preferably making to-do lists. Uh, so my days for me really boil down to what my routine is because having a structured routine helps me creatively. Mm -hmm. And so I like to wake up early. I'm definitely a morning person um, and do my morning pages and then get 
whatever harder task I have for the day off the bat, I find that if I can do something that is more difficult or that I don't really want to do in the morning, it makes the rest of the day easier. Uh, so whatever work that might be, I try to do that off the bat and then do a few hours of writing if I can, and then do other things, whether it's other work or emails or phone calls or meetings or whatever that might be. Um, but keeping it structured and having breaks for going on a walk or you know doing something um, to kind of get into my body is also very helpful. Mm -hmm. And your approach toward being a poet is, like I've said, is very innovative. It's very modern because a lot of the time you actually read out your poems, Asia, and they're just stunning. It's really, really empowering work that you do. And I obviously follow you on Instagram. So I've seen the videos that you have previously and currently post. Do you write out a poem and then just think, I want to share this with the world. So I'm just going to put up a video camera and film it. Or is there more madness kind of behind your mission? <laughs> um, I would say, I think I write two different types of poems. I think there's a poem I write that I know is meant to be performed and then a poem I write that is probably meant more for reading. I think they can also be interchangeable, but I know when I wrote The Truth About Being a Girl, I actually never thought someone would read that. I thought this is something I need to perform. And the same thing for the Dear Girl poem. Um, and then after that process, I think I started learning that there are some poems that are great for both performing and for reading, in my opinion. Um, and then in terms of just filming it and putting it up, in the beginning, I didn't really have any following and I didn't really know much about filming it and putting it online. Um, and I was lucky that through the process of speaking at a speaking event, I met someone at BuzzFeed that helped me with uh, perform or with uh, filming the truth about being a girl. But then from there, I wound up just shooting other pieces with friends um, or making TikToks or using all of the great things that are on an iPhone to to edit something simply and put captions and whatnot. So I think I have definitely evolved over the past few years to um, realizing that there's so much you can do, especially now, you know, with a lot of things shut down in the world. Um, that you can really do from your home uh, with recording. And can I ask, who are your favorite poets, Asia? So I have a lot of favorite poets, but I would say my my favorite poet um, of all time is Rumi, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but Rumi, yeah. um, yes. So I have this book uh, that my grandmother, it was actually my grandmother's, um, and it's The Essentials of Rumi. So all of his poems that obviously have been translated to English and um, and I read them every single day. I, I absolutely love his work and I think it has transcended time in such an incredible way. Uh, but I also, for Women's History Month in March, I created a folder on my Instagram, uh, or rather a highlight on my Instagram that was uh, highlighting 30 different um, or maybe it was 31, but transcended time in such an incredible way. Um, but I also, for Women's History Month in March, I created a folder on my Instagram, uh, or rather a highlight on my Instagram that was uh, highlighting 30 different, um, or maybe it was 31, but uh, female poets and um, from, from all over the world, from different time periods. And so through that process, it was a really incredible research process. I was able to learn about so many poets that I didn't necessarily have an education on. And I fell in love with each one of those 31 poets. And it's still highlighted on my Instagram if, if anyone wants to check it out. And what do you do when you're lacking inspiration? 
when I'm lacking inspiration, I, I definitely like to read and watch and listen to different types of content um, that will hopefully charge up my inspiration within me. Um, but I think consuming different, you know, things that I haven't seen before or listened to have been very helpful going out in the world. And so what advice Asia would you give anyone who in their heart wants to follow a creative path, but in their head thinks, you know what, it would be better for me, whether that be for financial reasons or other reasons to follow a more traditional path, such as being a medic or a lawyer, what would you say to them? I think you can definitely do both. I think that because we have access to social media and technology, there is a way to maybe pursue a day job and also your passion on the side at home, whether it's building a platform online or self-publishing a book. Like I didn't have a connection to a publisher when I was a teenager and wanted to sell my book. And so I wound up self-publishing it for free online as an ebook. And then through that process was eventually over many years able to sell it to Scholastic and then from there build my my path. But but my path in general has been pretty unconventional. I think um, that using these tools to find your way there, whether it be pursuing a day job or a more traditional path at first and doing this on the side, there's so many routes to it. And I would say keep your mind as open as possible and know that I think in this world we live in, we don't, it doesn't have to be black or white. I think that you uh, can definitely do both, especially if it's something that is is based on um, social media or technology or something where uh, maybe you don't necessarily need to go into a space to chase that dream. Of course. And we've touched on your Instagram and your social media, Asia. So who are maybe three people or what are three Instagram accounts that you follow that you genuinely couldn't live without? Oh, wow. <laughs> That is a, a good question. Um, spend more of my time like looking at content off of Instagram, actually, um, like watching TV shows that I love or movies or listening to music or reading. I just uh, bought this book that my friend recommended to me called The Body by Bill Bryson. And it's incredible. I am someone that kind of struggled with science back in school, but this book has made me fall so in love with the human existence and the body and, and science, quite frankly. Um, so I'm trying to do more of that where I spend less time online and more time consuming content, whether it be books or, or TV. Amazing. And what is next for you, Asia? What is your vision for the future? So I'm so excited to have Dear Girl come out on August 25th and for the audiobook, which I also um, performed myself and it has music and it's a really cool listening experience. Um, and then I'm really excited to create more and more poetry and content for videos, for social media, for all of that. And then to work on some longer term writing projects. Um, I've always wanted to write a script, to write more books, maybe a children's book, um, and to just kind of pursue different avenues for writing is really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. And what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by, Asia? Uh, yeah, so I have different quotes that I feel like I cycle through at different times in my life, depending on what's going on. Um, but one quote by Mary Oliver that I've always gravitated towards is, um, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's really powerful, actually. 
can I ask just talking yeah. about advice and things like this is there someone who you turn to for advice do you have a mentor who guides you is there a rock in your life who you always turn to oh that's a great question um I think my family I think that as I've gotten older I definitely go to different people in my family whenever I'm struggling with something or I feel lost or I'm just unsure of what to do. Yeah. And then lastly, Asia, what books do you recommend? Usually I would also ask what podcasts would you recommend, but I'm so eager to know about your personal book recommendations because I can imagine you're such an avid reader like me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so as I mentioned earlier, I am obsessed with Rumi and so I have the essentials of Rumi and I know that the book doesn't go on forever, but for some reason, every time I read it, I feel like I'm reading something I've never read before. Um, so it's one of those magical books where you can just keep reading it and I think it resonates differently at, at every moment in your life. Um, and then another book that I have always loved is Night by Ellie Wiesel, um, which I think is just something everyone should read. Um, and then there's different books that come up that I you know, hear about and read at different times in my life, but those are the two that I, I think I, I always go back to um, when thinking about books that, especially that I read when I was younger, that really resonated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just on a for a personal reason, I should say, Asia, can I ask what your favorite thing about New York City is? Oh, yes. Um, oh, my favorite thing about New York City. I feel like every time you step outside New York City, it is an adventure. Yeah. Something is going on. It is absolutely wild and crazy and unpredictable. And um, I really love New York for that magic. I feel like every time you step outside New York City, it is an adventure. Yeah. Something is going on. It is absolutely wild and crazy and unpredictable. And um, I really love New York for that magic. Do you ever get nervous performing your poems, Asia? Not like this, <laughs> but, but definitely when I'm live in front of an audience, I always get nervous. And I Do you ever have bad writing days, Asia, where you just think, you know what, I'm in a funk, I just can't write today? Oh, all the time, <laughs> like literally all the time. And I'm sure you as a writer also relate. I think, I, I can't imagine anyone that is a writer not having those days. And if they do, I want to learn whatever magic they're doing, um, but all the time. And, you know, I try to stay patient with those days and realize, all right, it's not happening today. Maybe it'll happen tomorrow, but sometimes it's weeks of that. Um, and I think, whenever that happens, it always makes me appreciate the great writing days so much more because I, I know you also know that feeling of when you've hit that wave with writing and like you're on, you're on a roll. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. There's nothing like it. Completely. Do you have one favorite poem, Asia? Um, of mine, I think probably Dear Girl, the poem, not the book, yeah. but, uh, and, and it's in the book as well. My own personal favorite of my poetry really changes all the time. And of others, oof, that is a tough question. I don't know that I, that I can pick a favorite. Um, I could send you a list. <laughs> no, I'll share them in the show notes with uh, a link to all of your social media. And of course, um, the Amazon link to your book. <laughs> awesome. 
I mean, I have to say, Asia, I, if poetry was a hug, it would be your book. <laughs> thank you. I love that. That's a great, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much again, Asia. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited we were able to set this up. I can't wait to share it with our readers and listeners, and I will definitely be in touch soon. Thank you. Yes, I look forward to talking to you soon.